Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Ready Player One. Ready Player One was written by Ernest Cline and published in 2011. And the film adaptation was directed by Steven Spielberg and came out in 2018. Just just a bit ago. Just a week ago, <laughs> according to our time. Yeah, this is, a, this is a really interesting one, and I'm really excited to talk about it. I am too. Because there's so many interesting factors at play with it. Uh, something to uh, make, I guess, clear early on, if anyone is listening who's not familiar with our podcast... We do tend to take a feminist perspective. Yeah, and just a critical perspective in general Mm -hmm. on the things that we discuss. You know, we're not looking at it as fans only. We are looking at it through a cultural perspective, um, through a feminist perspective, and through, you know, racially uh, woke mindset as well. So um, basically, we're just kind of warning you guys ahead of time that (laughs) we might, you know, be critical of this we might be critical combo. of elements of it, for sure. As we have been in the past for other episodes. And that is a tough thing, I think, especially when you like something. Yeah. Uh, when suddenly you find, like, these problematic faults with it, and you're like, ah, oh, but I like it. Yeah. But I also have to be aware of these elements and kind of come to terms with them. And it's a, it's a challenging thing, I think, for a lot of people. It is. And we will be discussing... It in great length up ahead, but that's just to let you guys know what's what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope you'll continue to listen. We hope if you're a fan of the book or the movie and everything else that you'll uh, give us a shot, you know, and listen. And, you know, we may disagree, but hopefully you enjoy our uh, discussion on it. Yeah. Another warning. Ian is becoming sick. <laughs> <laughs> I will age 30 years over the course of this one podcast. You won't catch anything from listening to it, <laughs> but he might sound a little stuffy when we're talking. So. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Ready Player One. Uh, I actually try. I started reading this a, couple, a few months ago uh, yeah. on my own and then kind of petered out because I was busy, but also like wasn't really grabbing my attention right away. It's a definitely a slow burn to get into the book. Mm-hmm. It honestly it was like the first 70 pages were basically just background and exposition. A lot of world building. <laughs> a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so the world this book inhabits and movie inhabits is mm-hmm. a dystopian future of the year 2045. Yeah. Uh, where... Basically, the Earth is about where you would expect it to be. Um, there's probably no more ice caps. Yeah. Uh, just there's smog. Pollution. Over everything. Overpopulation. Overpopulation. Issues of like scarcity of food, um, not enough jobs for everyone, just poverty in general. Yeah. It's um, kind of a generic dystopian future yeah. in that regard. Nothing specific happened. No. Although the one thing I do like, I mean... Everything outside of the Oasis and virtual reality. I do like the stacks and that idea of these trailers that get like stacked structurally, you know, in kind of these futuristic trailer parks. Yeah. That's kind of a cool idea. I I do like that concept Mm -hmm. uh, and that setting for where our main character is living, Wade Watts. Wade Watts. uh, Named after, well, no one, but to sound like a superhero alter ego. His dad named him Wade Watts because it sounded like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the other element of this world is 
you know, virtual reality is kind of uh, the preferred reality, the preferred. That's a great way to put it. That's so perfect. Uh, Basically, most monetary transactions happen there. Like Mm -hmm. uh, that's where people want to be. That's where school is going towards. People go to school there. People work there Mm -hmm. it's interesting and everyone's spending all their free time there so it's called the oasis it was built by this guy james halliday and his partner ogden morrow Mm -hmm. and they they're kind of like the tech fancy pants yeah they're like universe i don't know the geeky i don't know if that's the right geeky steve jobs and uh steve wozniak almost like this famous duo who revolutionized uh the tech world uh, but it is an interesting evolution we find, you know, we're kind of explained to later about how this virtual reality game mm-hmm. uh, became so popular and kind of became the Internet in a way. Yeah. Which was kind of an interesting transition to kind of read about, like this history behind it. And it kind of makes sense. Yeah. That, that would happen. Um, but yeah, everyone is just in virtual reality all the time. And then when Halliday dies, he basically issues a challenge to everyone and is like, if you solve my puzzle and find my hidden Easter egg in the game, in the virtual reality game, then you inherit everything, which is like billions and billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So of course everyone is like, we have to find the keys that'll lead us to the egg, like blah, blah, blah. And that's where our character Wade comes in because he's like obsessed with trying to find this egg. Yes. He's what's called a gunter. Yeah. Which I forget. What was the origin of that phrase? Egg hunter. Oh. Gunter. That's pretty lame. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of forgot what it meant. Um, yeah. So the uh, an interesting aspect of this is that like no one found anything for five years yeah. like after this was issued. Like there was this message and like all this cryptic subtext to it yeah and people deciphering it and trying to figure out what it means and then no one found anything and it kind of became almost the stuff of legend like few fewer people thought about it and like wanted to actually find it and then only the most dedicated gunters gunters (laughs) and geeks and knowledge holders of the 80s care like our character wade yeah and the 80s is important because Halliday loved the 80s, so everything is about the 80s. <laughs> but also not about the 80s. Yeah, also about like the 90s as well. <laughs> Did you find it weird? I kind of wish, you know, reading this book, they reference a lot of pop culture, not just in the 80s, but like Harry Potter and Halo and like yeah. Overwatch and Gears of War, just like everything. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt weird about it stopping at the present day because yeah. it takes place in 2045. That's true. And I kind of wish he included like, oh, and of course his character was a uh, Gragadon from the popular show of 2032. Yeah. Uh, Gragadon's Brother. Spaceship brother. <laughs> Gragadon's brother. Gragadon's brother. A drama sense. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I kind of yeah. wish like he had these fake, you know, future pop culture things to fill in some of those gaps. Yeah, it was almost like nobody watches anything new anymore because mm-hmm. everyone just cares about the 80s only. Yeah. Like there's not like cool new things that are existing in this world. 
Yeah. It's all only nostalgia. <laughs> Pure. But and not just nostalgia, but a very like specific set of nostalgia. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like John Hughes movies. And uh, one of the interesting critiques of this book and movie that we read about was how it really um, uh, neglects like uh, female nostalgia of the era. Yeah. Yeah. So like 80s things that a lot of women would identify with like Thelma and Louise, which is a cult classic mm-hmm. and like babysitters club, which was like took the world by storm and also like sweet Valley high, you know, things like that. Yeah. That women would more readily identify with from the eighties are not included. And also, uh, like from like, uh, different minorities, you know, like hip hop and rap is yeah. kind of like totally neglected and it's just very white male, Nostalgia, white male nostalgia, eighties, <laughs> very specific niche. Yes, where it seems like it's all the eighties, but when you take a little bit of a closer look, you do see that it kind of falls into this specific category. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about Wade because I have a lot. I have a lot of things and thoughts. So Wade is supposed to be like the most awkward of the awkwards. Like he doesn't know how to identify with people, I guess, because he goes to school on the Internet. Like whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I was immediately so like annoyed and confused by this description. Because He talks about how he grew up on the Internet, basically, or in, in the Oasis. Yeah. And so he didn't know how to socialize in the real world. And so he was really awkward because of that. But I'm like. In this reality, don't a lot of kids do that? Yeah. And then he describes himself as being even too weird for the weirdos. Yeah. I'm like, but why? We never get any, like, examples of this, or we no. never see it. This claim is not backed up. No, not at all. Because <laughs> he, he does have friendships with people, and he, throughout the book and in the movie, he, like, talks with a lot of people and has relationships and seems fine. So I don't really know. Yeah, he and he talks about like having more uh, confidence in the Oasis. Yeah. But it's kind of like where we only see him in the Oasis, basically. So Mm -hmm. where's this difference? Uh, I do have a line I have to read because it was like, I don't know, so many things about it. He is confronted by bullies. Oh, yeah. And he comes up with a line, a, a, a comeback. Um uh, a, a guy's mocking his clothes and he says, your mom bought them for me. I retorted without breaking my stride. Tell her I said thanks the next time you stop at home to breastfeed and pick up your allowance. Ugh. Then he ends this. Uh, he says, at this school, the only real weapons were words. So I'd become skilled at wielding them. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think you're as skilled as you think you are. That was a really weird comeback. It was really uncomfortable I for know, everyone. I know, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, so it, it's just kind of wanting its cake and to eat it too. Yeah, he he's cool and he knows all the references. He's like an 80s and holiday scholar, but he's like super awkward and an outcast and like a loner, you know. Yeah. He lives with his aunt because his parents died or something. But <laughs> <laughs> But like all the other characters are like, yeah, we don't have family either, so I don't, I don't know. It's just like a bunch of kids like 18 year olds just running around basically yeah um in the movie oh god i don't remember his name and i don't really even care who plays <laughs> wade oh yeah 
tie something. Tie. Didn't you say? Yeah, it's tie something. Yeah. But I don't really care because he's not that interesting in this movie. He's not. Um. Yeah. One of the main differences is he doesn't attend school. School is not a part of the story. School's in just the movie. not. And I wasn't sure. I'm like, is he supposed to be a teenager still? Like, he's roughly that age, but he definitely looks older. Yeah. Like, all kids who play teenagers do. Yeah. And I don't know. There's one point where, like, his aunt's boyfriend is picking on him, and he's, like, laying on the ground looking real sad and mopey with, like, this music. And you're like, how old are you? I know. I'm like, (laughs) you're a grown-ass man. I'm sorry. Like, it's definitely trying to play into him being, like, a teenager, and but he feels a lot older than that, in my opinion. Yeah. But... Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, the movie for this, for the most part, this setup is the same, though. Yeah. Uh, They cut out the whole school bit, which makes sense. That was I don't think it added much to the story. It didn't. Not really. Um, It does a little bit in terms of how he finds the first key. Yeah. But then again, I also don't care about that too much. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So. He eventually just kind of figures out the first key. The clue, the yeah. The clue. Um, he realizes that it is hidden on the planet he attends school at. School planet. School <laughs> school planet. <laughs> oh, but this is another thing, okay? So another aspect of his character is that he's poor. Yeah. Somehow poorer than everyone else. Like, yeah. that's another thing I don't get. He's like, I'm so poor. I'm like, no one's doing well in this future. Why are you more poor than everyone else? Yeah. Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, But, you know, he can't afford, because it costs money to either teleport off School Planet, or it's called Ludus, but I like School Planet better. It costs money to teleport off there, or you have to have a spacecraft that costs money. And so he's basically just stuck at school all the time. Yeah. But he loves the Oasis so much. That he just stays there. Yeah, and I'm like, this is, it seems like a really, like, it's a cool school. It's, like, really big and nice, but he's still just stuck at school almost all the time, but he's like, the Oasis is my home, and he just sits on the campus lawn, like, all day, Yeah, (laughs) reading about his holiday holiday and shit, Yeah, and being like, maybe one day I'll have enough money to (laughs) go somewhere outside of this small vicinity. Which, like, this brings me to my question about this whole virtual reality thing, like, it acts like it is a video game in mm-hmm. the sense that you have to like travel from like planet to planet or like level to level, world yeah. to world. But it's also like not a game because like so much more is happening yeah. than just game things there. Like people go there for like business meetings mm-hmm. and like the whole idea of having to pay to travel is sort of confusing. Yeah, a little bit. I'm like, but it's virtual reality. Like, Can't you just go anywhere? (laughs) And that's another thing is, you know, he talks about the Oasis being like free and like this um, open Internet, open Internet hub where like people can be whoever they want. And it's unbound like this big corporation and, and villain in the book and movies, the IOI, wants to take it and monetize it, basically. Yeah, like charge a fee every month. Yeah, but I'm like, it already kind of is like a classist 
society where because if you don't have money you can't travel and if you can't travel and like go on quests and shit you can't like level up your avatar or whatever like and then you're just on virtual school planet all the time yeah but the book never addresses that no you know because that is kind of it's already kind of a monetized class system it is but it never it always just talks about how great and free and open it is yeah like you're stuck at school all the time (laughs) you're on school planet (laughs) So basically he finds out that the key, the bronze key, the first key you have to find. The copper. Oh, I thought it was bronze. No, it's copper. Oh, copper. Um, It's on school planet. So (laughs) he finds it and stuff. And he actually runs into this other gunter there, Artemis. Artemis, who he has had a huge crush on for years. She's like a famous gunter blogger. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, like, just an enormous coincidence right off the yeah. bat. No one's found this place for five years, and then he runs into his crush there. His internet crush. His internet crush. Uh, but essentially, he is able to play for the copper key, mm-hmm. and he has to play a old video game called Joust. Yeah. And then we just are... You know, we get to read about him playing a video game within a video game and just the challenges. So he's in the virtual reality and like with the virtual reality, you have like the visor that goes over your eyes and then like gloves. Yeah. And then some people have like fancy suits that like have your whole body's movements in them. But for now, Wade just has like the hands and like the visor thing. And so he's sitting in his like hideout. With his hands like out, <laughs> playing know. this game that's like in a in a game booth type thing, like yeah, like <laughs> like an arcade cabinet, yeah. And like just every once in a while, reading this story, you just kind of mentally take a step back to just thinking about Wade in this van, yeah, like waving his arms around, yeah, like moving the joystick, but it's there's like nothing there. He's just yeah. like moving his hands and like and pressing just, imaginary buttons, and he's just all sweaty and like freaking out <laughs> and just is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Another interesting thing about the movie and kind of the book, but more the movie is seeing how their real world interactions are brought out in the Oasis. Yeah. Because sometimes if a character's running in the Oasis, their real life person's running around like the living room, for example. Yeah. You know, or they're or, on a treadmill or something. Yeah. Or they're on like this crazy treadmill, um, which is cool. It's kind of a cheesy Steven Spielbergy thing to do. And I kind of like they do a lot of visual gags with that. Um, and I enjoy it. But every once in a while while watching the movie, uh when we don't see the characters in real life, you're kind of wondering what they're doing. You're like, what are they doing right now? (laughs) There's a scene uh, near the end of the movie where uh, Wade is like fist fighting this guy and suddenly it's like really fast kung fu. Like, is he doing this in real life? Like, what's happening? And we never see. Yeah. You know, other times, you know, if he's spinning around, he's really spinning around in real life. So Mm -hmm. there is kind of that questioning brought up I think with what's actually happening here how much are you doing in the virtual reality yeah how much of a we situation is, <laughs> is it like we tennis where on you're a like... scale of one to we bowling where are we <laughs> or 
or is it more like uh, Wii Boxing, where you just kind of flail? Yeah, you're just, there's no strategy. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. It's, it's just like throwing your arms until you accidentally punch your friend standing beside you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I, that's just, I do like it because it is kind of a cheesy Spielberg-y thing to do. Yeah. But it also raised a lot of questions while watching this movie. Mm-hmm. And the movie, smartly does not follow the same setup for finding the key. Yeah. They're not like, oh, and now we're going to show you him, <laughs> a close-up on him playing this video game. This, yeah, this uh, 8-bit video arcade game. Yeah. Against a wizard. Against a wizard. And then after that, he has to enter into a movie and then reenact the whole movie as the main character. He, yeah, he reenacts Matthew Broderick's movie War Games. Yeah, word, he has to play Matthew Broderick word for word. And I'm like, this is so stupid. And so it's, yeah, the movie was like, yeah, we're not gonna do that, <laughs> which makes sense because like, why would anyone want to watch that happen? Yeah, you know, reading about it is one thing, um, but watching it is another. So for the first challenge in the movie, it's just like a, a race. Yeah. And this is a really cool action-y, it is. fun scene. This is kind of what I wanted from a movie like this. I'm like, in a in a virtual reality world... Well, anything can happen. Yeah, I want to see, like, such an unrealistic amount of action going on yeah. that is just crazy Craziness. and kinetic and frantic. Mm-hmm. And that's what we got. And I liked that. Like, I, I really... that, And I, I'm not sure the movie ever... Um, Kept that up. Reaches the heights of that initial race scene. Yeah. Um, but it's really cool. Yeah, Wade has a DeLorean, which yep. is super sweet. Artemis is in it. She's on a motorcycle. From Akira, I think it is. Yeah. And uh, his friend H uh, is in, I forget, like some kind of monster truck. Yeah. But, and then you, you, you there's obviously other background um, you know, you see like the 1960s Batmobile yeah. or uh, the car from Christine. Oh, my God. That's in it. Yeah. Yeah. You can see it just briefly in the background. <laughs> I, 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 had to, I had to crack up about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like King Kong is like trying to bat cars away. Yeah. You know, it's or the like, T-Rex from Jurassic Park shows up. Yeah. There's just a lot of cool, crazy elements going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. A lot of people didn't like this aspect to the movie though yeah well I think that was like it was a good way to get a lot of like references to the 80s in and kind of like set you up in like place and like kind of yeah you know without being without literally saying every reference out loud I agree. which would just be annoying yeah I we kind of knew what this movie was gonna be like you know the references aren't anything other than just like, oh, there's that character. Oh, yep. there's that character. And like, oh, in the background. And that thing. And that thing. <laughs> and they mentioned this thing real briefly. Like, yeah. I'm fine with that in, you know, I have other issues with the movie, yeah. but I'm fine with that element of it, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, uh, he, this race that no one can wins that no one, what, did I, what did I just say? <laughs> no one can wins. <laughs> I'll cut it out in post. Um, that no one can win. And then when he goes to the uh, Halliday archives, yeah. he discovers a tiny tidbit of information that causes him, he realizes there's like a hidden pathway yeah. that he can only get to by going in reverse at the start. Mm-hmm. And that's how he gets the first, the copper key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of a, not a similar thing, a, a little bit. 
he kind of has to figure out this puzzle, basically. Yeah, yeah. So the spirit of that first key is still kind of retained. We just don't have to watch War Games, the movie, (laughs) (laughs) within this movie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So around this time, he and Artemis are, like, really competing. Yeah. um, Because in the book, he runs into her right where the first challenge is. And in the movie, she's kind of a challenger right from the beginning. Uh, yeah, yeah. And she's like a famous blogger and everything. And her name, Artemis, is from uh, the goddess, goddess of the hunt. So like she's hunting for the yeah. egg and stuff. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd like to bring up a real story of Artemis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because if she was, if her character was actually in the spirit of Artemis, she would be a lot cooler. Yeah. So there is this classic story of Artemis the goddess where this guy who was a hunter either said he was a better hunter than her or tried to rape her or just like peeked at her while she was naked and she was like, no. (laughs) So after one of those things happened, she turned him into a deer or a stag and then set his own hounds to chase him uh, because he had hounds like he would hunt with. And then the hounds chased this poor hunter and then (laughs) ripped him to shreds. (laughs) Which is just like... Uh, old school uh, God shit. God vengeance. God vengeance. <laughs> like, perfect. It's yeah. so great. I love it. I would have liked to see more of that in mm-hmm. Artemis, I think. I would have liked to have seen Artemis turn uh, Wade into some poor animal and get ripped to shreds. Yeah, that would have been great. It. That would have been great. But of course, like, Wade is in love with her immediately, um, despite the fact which she brings up many times. Uh, he doesn't know what she actually looks like because yeah. of their avatars. So. And also they just don't know each other that well. No. Like they only really know each other within the confines of like the hunt. Yeah. And the oasis. And culture. Yeah. Um, in the movie, he professes his love to her very quickly. It's like 30 minutes into the movie. Yeah. I, I cringed hard when he did it. I was like, oh my God. Because they, they don't really spend that much time together in the movie at this point. Like, they've been trying to figure out the clues and mm-hmm. find the keys and stuff. Uh, but then there there's a scene where, like, they're at this club dancing and he's like, I love you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and she basically, you know, Lays it out for him like, you don't know me. Yeah. Stop. And he was just like, but why don't you understand that you're everything I want in a that you're nerdy. everything I've idealized. In a yes, woman. in a nerdy geek girl <laughs> fantasy girl. Yeah. And in the book, too, like they talk a little bit more. Like, they do. They email a lot and then they digitally meet up in the Oasis at the club, like same as in the movie. The club. <laughs> the club. <laughs> the zero G club. And he tells her he loves her again. And she's also like, stay away from me, basically. <laughs> and then just kind of cuts all ties from him. Yeah. And then he is getting, he gets real stalkerish. Yeah. Sends her a lot of emails. He and- um, drops flowers onto her fortress planet he does yeah because that's what this is that's what this world is like like you have your own planet your own little asteroid you call home he's like special delivery dropping some bombs of flowers (laughs) uh 
Yeah, and also he does the thing where he holds the boombox over his yeah. head, like that one movie yeah. that I can't remember its Say name. Say anything. Say anything, yes. <laughs> just like a lot of cheesy 80s stuff, but mm-hmm. yeah, he just goes way too hard, and it's very cringy, and I'm not into it. I'm not about it. No. And yeah. he just, just kind of wants to win her, yeah. like the egg. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Artemis is, uh, I wish there was more to her. I do too. Maybe some of her backstory. I would have liked that. Yeah, we get a brief hint of that in the movie. Yeah. Uh, where she's like, my uh, dad was a, a guy who died. <laughs> and Wade's like, also my parents. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, but my parents more. <laughs> yeah, so that that's another uh, element of this world. So the IOI yeah. uh, is this evil corporation, McEvil bad guy yeah corporation they they're just bad <laughs> yeah they um they want to like take over the oasis like we said mm-hmm. so they're trying to win the egg because if one of their ioi drones they call them sixers if one of their corporate drones wins the egg then the whole company will own it um so the gunters are sort of playing against these drones who have all the money and experience and uh, weapons that they need and the holiday knowledge. So yeah. they kind of have this unfair advantage because they have a whole corporation behind them where each gunter is, you know, playing on their own or in a, a team, depending on how they're affiliated. But uh, yeah, they're just evil McEvil, you know, nothing like. Yeah. And it's so bizarre because uh, essentially they have like, uh, I don't know, credit cards and stuff that they like people. Uh, are loaned money from them. Yeah. And then when those people can't pay it back, they like enslave them for indentured servitude and they just like do some kind of work for them uh, and never are able to pay off their debt basically. Yeah. So it's kind of this. So based on that, one would assume that there's no kind of police or judicial system. Or like governing body that's like keeping control of no. this. <laughs> and without jumping too far ahead, there is a part at the end where the police show up. In the movie. In the movie. Yeah. And I'm like, where have you been? Like, this is so out <laughs> There's of- a lot going on and you have not been around. No. <laughs> like-, like Wade's trailer stack gets blown up because the IOI is trying to like sabotage him. Yeah. They find out his avatar's identity and they're trying to... They don't want him to win because they want to win. So they like tried to blow him up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where are the police? Like, <laughs> how can they do this? And then why are they literally letting IOI just like haul people off to a prison to work? Like, yeah. So any influence <laughs> the police have at the end of the story is like way too little, too late. You're and it like, doesn't no. feel like it's going to affect anything <laughs> at all. No. Um, the Wade's uh, stacks getting blown up, though, does actually bring this. Um, conflict to the real world and yeah. actually gives us a little bit of a real con- like uh, danger yeah. sense of danger uh, because they find out who Wade really is uh, through his school records and they try to kill him by blowing up his home. Yeah. Uh, he manages he doesn't escape he just wasn't there <laughs> through luck so uh, also his aunt is dead okay no one cares. <laughs> yeah but also that sweet neighbor lady Adina that sweet neighbor lady that we get like a one sentence description of and yeah. then we never hear from her and again. And then he mentions five more times in the story <laughs> like to avenge her. Yeah I'm like you didn't care about her. Yeah uh, but 
So after this happens, he kind of has to go on the run. And in the book, he lives in Kansas. Columbus. Well, no, in the book, he lives somewhere else. He lives Oklahoma in like, City, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then he moves to Columbus. Yeah. In the movie, he was just always in Columbus, so that makes sense. But uh, yeah, so this kind of sets off this, like, him evading IOI. Being and, on the run, undercover, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, and so in the book, he just moves to Columbus. The movie, though, we get a weird uh, thing that happens where he gets abducted. Yeah. And is brought to Artemis, the real life Artemis. Yeah. And she says, welcome to the resistance. Yeah. And, and then they never explain that. And we're like, <laughs> what is the resistance? What I are you? I was like, t- we watched the movie and then we were talking about it later. And I was like, remember that part where he's brought to the resistance and then we never find out what it's about and like what they're doing at all. Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, like that, <laughs> that plotline was dropped like really quickly. Because like, it's implied that because this guy showed up to where Wade was and like chloroformed him. Yeah. And so Artemis knew who he was, which implies that she has some kind of like uh, back channel power and yeah. knowledge and like is almost like this, I don't know, figure in this underground yeah. revolution but we're never really given a scope of what this is. At yeah, all. and you're like, what are they resisting? Do they just resist IOI? Are they resisting like the government in general? Are they just like hiding from something? Like we just don't really get yeah, more yeah. information about that. And like really quickly in the movie, they get to this place, and this is a chance for Wade to meet Artemis yeah. in, in real life. And they kind of have like moments where they connect. In person, which is interesting, and I like it because in the book, they don't meet in person until the very, very, very end. Mm-hmm. Like, literally everything has already happened, <laughs> and then they meet. Yeah. So I kind of liked them getting to meet I did throughout too. the story. It made it feel less like, well, he might actually know who she is, because they're kind of getting to know each other a bit. Yeah. It did this kind of... It, it's the same in the book, where you find out the real-life Artemis has, like, a blotchy birthmark on her face. Yeah. And they act like she's not beautiful They're because like, of it. You're definitely not hot anymore because of this one like really tiny thing. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I don't know. There's so many interesting things you could do with this idea of the Oasis. Yeah. And being different people. And there is one character uh, who kind of embodies this a little bit. Yeah. Which is H. Mm-hmm. I mean, we might as well talk yeah. about it now. Uh, H is in the book, a white male character in the oasis and then we find out in real life uh she's a black female uh who's also a lesbian yeah um so and when wade finds this out he's very thrown off and doesn't know how to feel about it because h has always been his best friend in the oasis and they like hang out all the time they're buds they game together they're bros and then he does find out that h stands for helen you know (laughs) and uh they do talk about it a little bit, but I agree. I would have liked to see a little bit more with that with Artemis. Yeah. And just in terms of like H, there's some interesting elements to her backstory where she says like, you know, her mom suggested she create a male white um, character avatar so that she would be taken more seriously in like the job force in the Oasis and other Mm -hmm. things. And um, then her mom threw her out when she found out she was gay. Uh, but this is just like such little 
uh, kind of thrown back, at you. Yeah. The, yeah. And it's like, not part of the main. I'm like, this should be the main story. Like her story seems like it should be so much more interesting. Yeah. Let's have it from her perspective. <clears throat> that would be great. Yeah. And <clears throat> you know, that's such an important element of the Oasis, but we really only experience it through Wade's perspective. Yeah. And, and we don't really get to hear about what it must be like for her to have a friend like Wade, someone that maybe she really trusts and cares about, but she can't share this like deep secret with him. You know, like how does that make her feel? And like, what are the things that she goes through? And it's just sort of about Wade's reaction to her and not about like her having to hide herself for so long. And we also get this really kind of dismissive, shitty resolution to it from Wade. Yeah. He's like, at the end of the day, I realized it doesn't matter her gender or race or sexual orientation because she's still my friend, blah, blah, blah. But I read a review about this book that was like, he should care about those things. Those are important factors to who she is and like her life in the real world. And if they are friends, he should care about that. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and not just like, well, she's still knowledgeable about pop culture of the 80s, and that's all that matters to me. <laughs> Basically. So this was just, like, such a a great opportunity for yeah. these stories that really just is not fulfilled at all in my mind. No, but she is played expertly in the movie by Lena Waithe. Yes. She is great. Um, Lena Waithe also stars in Master of None mm-hmm. as a character in that show, and she's great. She plays Denise in that show. Um, which it's great that they cast her because she is a lesbian in real life. So I liked that representation, although they did not acknowledge that she was a lesbian in the movie. Oh, didn't they? I guess they didn't, didn't they? I was like, come on, give me a shot where she's like, I'm a girl. Well, there is the part where, and this is only like a subtle illusion, where in the second challenge they're in the Shining House. Yeah. And the creepy uh, woman. Oh yeah, the bathtub woman. Yeah, is like coming on to her. And she's like, yeah, let's just see where this goes. Yeah. For a br- so. But that's before you know. Well, yeah, yeah. You, those are kind of two separated dots you kind of have to connect. So mm-hmm. I agree it is a little bit unfulfilled in that regard. Yeah. But she's really funny and I really like that she's in it. Yeah. And I mean, like, you can tell, like, they really just distorted her own voice. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, they change it to be more masculine mm-hmm. for her avatar, but you can tell it's like still her voice and she's still just really funny. Yeah. Um, in that, sh- in fact, in that second challenge in the movie mm-hmm. where they're exploring the shining, uh, hotel. Yeah. There's kind of a whole little just sub, uh, not plot, but like you just follow her around as H yeah. for like a good portion of it. And that is such it. a funny scene. I love that. It is. Cause H, the whole thing with H is that, uh, she doesn't like horror movies. <laughs> so she hasn't yeah. watched The Shining at all. And they're all like, how have you not watched The Shining? This is like Halliday's 11th favorite horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't like horror movies. And so she's just like wandering through the house being like, oh, what are these two like little <laughs> girls doing over here? Little girls, can you help me? <laughs> oh my God, I love <laughs> that Let me part. get the elevator. <laughs> Let me go into room 237. And <laughs> I am very curious about I haven't read much about that scene in the movie. Yeah. Because essentially, if you haven't caught on uh, or haven't seen the movie, they enter uh, Stanley Kubrick's movie, The Shining. Yeah. And it's a very accurate, like, recreation of the setting and Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff. You don't see Jack Nicholson or anything, but a lot of those elements are there. And I kept wondering, watching this scene, I'm like, are people going to like this or hate this? Yeah. Because that movie's so revered by so many people. 
like, and, you know, Stanley Kubrick's, like, a legend of directors, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's kind of a silly scene. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if people are going to like this or not. I liked it. I did, yeah. I thought it was really funny, um, and it was sort of, like, they people have parodied The Shining, the movie, sure. before. yeah. But it was just kind of funny to see someone, because, you know, most everyone knows what's happening in The Shining, and to see H go through it and yeah. have, like, no idea, <laughs> like, the consequences of her actions, I'm just like, oh, this is so great. Yeah, yeah, I, I did enjoy it, because, I mean, I don't hold that to, like, any, like, high regard, The Shining, like, it's it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's a more interesting uh, second challenge in the movie than we get in the book, which is, what is it? He has to uh, do a video game trophy collecting challenge, and then he has to play a real life uh, 8-bit video game in real life. These and are so also boring. also go into Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, but like only for a moment. It's so boring. It I'm, is. All of the challenges are like, first you have to play this video game and then reenact a movie and then go to like a movie place and then do another video game. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all of them, honestly. Yeah. And I just, it just never felt like there were any stakes. No. You never really questioned whether he'd be able to do it or not because he's the best. Mm-hmm. He knows everything because he's Wade. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I just was not interested in these parts at all. I skimmed them hardcore. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just boring. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of the book where it's just a lot of exposition Yeah, and not a lot is happening. Like the first 70 pages of the book. And then after Wade finds the first key and like does the first challenge, there's like, six months where nobody knows how to solve the to get to the second one so it's just nothing again and i was like oh no it was just getting like exciting and interesting yeah because like, his like they they blew up his house and yeah. he's on the run and then nothing happens again and we get a chapter a whole chapter describing his apartment and his like haptic feedback gloves and like full body whatever and his like supervisor yeah all his like super suit stuff and i'm like Ugh. like a whole chapter and and that's kind of how a lot of the world building is tackled in this book which yeah i you know i think overall the world he created is interesting it is but he just tackles it in these really dense chunks yeah that are super boring instead of like i don't know just spreading it out like just spread it out a little bit you know what I mean (laughs) yeah or like keep us guessing and keep us wondering what is happening you know one of the books that I really really loved recently was the um the fifth season it's a sci-fi book um and one of the things I loved but also hated about it was that I never knew what was going on and like they didn't (laughs) give you a lot of information about the world you were in and also like the, the past and and you were constantly trying to figure it out but it was exciting and it yeah. made me want to keep reading and it was there was so much tension and suspense because I just wanted to know and there's definitely an art to that like oh for sure I, I don't I don't know how authors can do it and some can't but like this well, is Ernest Klein's first book also so. yeah yeah and I think it's a matter of trusting the audience yeah you know like I think and especially in a movie sense I think 
a lot of times studios are like, they don't want to take risks. Yeah. Like, no, we need to exposition everything at the beginning so audiences aren't confused. Mm -hmm. Like, people will leave in the middle of the movie if they're confused. Yeah. But, you know, I'd rather... Be challenged. Yeah, because the movie also gives us a lot of exposition at the beginning. Uh, But I'd rather just... Kind of go with the ride a little bit. I don't have to know everything. Like, let's find out along the way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it also, in terms of the book, feels like we're getting chunks of important information much later. For example, the IOI and their indentured servitude thing. Yeah, that's like plopped right in the last like 70 or like 25 percent of the book. Like all of the it, it's the last bit. And yeah. then all of a sudden it's just like this plot. And I'm like, why have we not heard about this before? Yeah. <laughs> kind of important and the movie does a better job of kind of alluding to it earlier yeah uh let's talk about the breaking into the ioi oh yeah and kind of the differences so in the movie artemis gets captured yeah and then is like brought to the indentured servitude place the rebellion is quickly snuffed out <laughs> before we're even allowed to know what it is <laughs> And Artemis kind of sacrifices herself and gets caught. Yeah. So she's inside the uh, IOI. Yeah. And then she sort of, they're they're trying to rescue her and they kind of help her. But then she sort of uses her position inside to kind of be like a person on the inside, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which kind of exciting. And honestly, this IOI set is really great in the movie. Yeah. It's very Spielberg-y. Like, it fe- I'm sorry, I keep using that word, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, it's, you know, practical sets, a lot of it, which I appreciate. Yeah. And it feels kind of like uh, Minority Report. Yes. In a way, you know, there's kind of an element of goofiness to it, but there's that real texture of it being a real set. Yeah. And there's kind this of... This isn't the Oasis. This yeah. is the real world. And there's a lot of thought put into, you know, she gets put in this, like, phone booth looking thing yeah and in the oasis so they put like this helmet on her but the strap is locked so she can't take it off yeah and a lot of these elements and details i appreciated and liked Mm -hmm. getting to see uh but so she escapes yeah and uh essentially at this point in the movie the last key is known, mm-hmm. but the IOI has put like a force field over it. Yeah. And the same thing is happening in the book too. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, they know where the key or like the gate is and they're, but they're just blocking anyone from going in it. But IOI can't figure out how to solve the clue. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the movie, she's helping from the inside, take down the shield and do mm-hmm. other things. Uh, which is another real world element of danger and risk that I like. Yeah. That the movie did a little better in certain instances. That she could be discovered at any moment. Yeah. And while she, she's in the Oasis. Mm-hmm. And during the whole climactic ending, uh, they're kind of in the Oasis, but they're on the run, like in this van and everything. Yeah, yeah. And that added a fun element that mm-hmm. made it more interesting as opposed to the book, which we'll get to later. But in the book... Uh, Wade takes on this role of infiltrating uh, the IOI. Yeah. And can I just say that there's a term that's been floated around a lot lately, um, specifically towards certain characters such as Rey Mm. from The Force Awakens, and it's called a Mary Sue. Oh, yeah. Which is a... First of all, a pr- I think a pretty sexist term. Yeah, because I think so. Because it's only ever used to refer to women. Yes. And they're like, no one can be this good at anything. Like, they have no faults. But there's so many male characters that are the exact same way. Yeah, and no one calls them out on their shit. <laughs> uh, but 
Wade, if this is a real thing, you know, if we're going to use this term, Wade is a definite Gary Lou. <laughs> okay. Hashtag Gary Lou. I like it. I like it. <laughs> because, you know, up until this point in the story, he's just been a dude who knows a lot of 80s stuff, who's really into video games and knows a lot of 80s stuff. Now he has this entire intricate plan where he is breaking into the IOI and he has all this stuff set up. He gets himself purposely. He's a super hacker. He's a super hacker. Yeah. All of a sudden he's like hacking into everything. He's like, I'm circuit breaker. I'm in. And he like intentionally gets himself caught and then he's inside, but then he has all of these passwords that he has and he like hacks into their mainframe and like steals all their information. And he has yeah. this whole other thing planned where he like has another suit of a guard delivered to him so he could sneak out and, like, the level of competence and bravery and knowledge and, like, everything involved yeah, that has, like, seems to come from nowhere in this it, story. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm like, and, and it goes off without a hitch. Yeah. Like, everything works out fine. Everything's fine. There's no, like, something goes wrong at the last second and they have to fix it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. in every action movie where, like, yeah. something goes wrong at the last second, but then they have to fix it. <laughs> exactly. That's what makes it exciting. Yeah. You know? Uh, but, yeah, he just is great at everything he does. Yeah. And literally, that's the entire story. His only faults in the story, really, are uh, he's he's overweight. Yeah. We're told at the beginning but then when that does become a problem, he like easily sheds the weight. In yeah, like he three just months. exercises a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then he, he's fine. He's like, oh, I can change this. And then he just does mm-hmm. in three months. So, yeah, you know, this is a, an actual example where he just has no he's just suddenly good at everything he needs to be at the moment that he needs it without any establishment earlier. Mm-hmm. So he's a Gary Lou, a Gary Lou. Uh, while they're trying to bring down the shield, um, Wade also kind of calls everyone in the Oasis to come to this planet that they're on and basically fight the Sixers, the IOI. Yeah. So like, it's kind of cool. There's like a ton of avatars that like some of them are human. Some of them are like monsters or orcs or elves yeah. and shit. Like yeah. they start this huge battle and this is also a chance for giant robots to attack each other (laughs) pacific rim style (laughs) pretty much yeah uh in the book all the characters at this point have a giant mech suit yeah and so and then what's the the main head of the ioi i forget his name sorrento sorrento yeah has a mecha godzilla yeah and there's kind of a point of diminishing return <laughs> and it certainly hits that point here in, especially in the book because at least in the movie, okay. In yeah. the movie we get to see this stuff and there is a certain pleasure in that. Like, Oh, there's Chucky and Freddie and Jason and there's Mechagodzilla and there's Voltron forming. And yeah. like, you get to see like a Gundam, you get to see some of the stuff on the big screen that, we've never seen before mm-hmm. which there's kind of a you know somewhat of a a payoff for but in the book it just name drops everything yeah yeah oh and voltron They're like this would, thing and this thing and this thing and yeah. this thing and voltron was there and gundam and uh star trek and also um darth vader and <laughs> i'm like ah, okay i can't my brain can't keep up with this but i'll just take your word for it that it's cool yeah so I, this was the point to for me in the book where it just got to be too much. Mm-hmm. But 
yeah, so this all out war breaks out. They got they do a big fight. <laughs> there's, a, there's a big old fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, H has the Iron Giant in the movie. Yeah. How did you feel about that? I mean, it was fine. A lot of people were pissed off about that. Yeah. Because the whole point of like the movie, the Iron Giant, is that he's not a gun. Yeah. And here he's just shooting Rawr! people everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was. It was fine. I, yeah. I, I, I also didn't care, honestly. <laughs> like, it's not going to ruin the Iron Giant for me. Yeah, and there's so. a lot more going on to talk about. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they eventually get the shield down. Uh, if you're watching the movie, it's because of Artemis. If you're reading the book, it's because Wade just programs a droid to drop a bomb next to the tablet that's casting the spell yet that a- is creating the force field. Yet another miraculous thing pulled off by wade yeah out of his magic hat of skills mm-hmm. uh but yeah so the war breaks out the shield goes down and i guess the the heroes get inside of this castle where the final key slash challenge slash gate is yeah uh and there's a difference somewhat between the book and the movie right for what for what the challenge is uh oh yeah uh See, I always forget what the challenges are in the book because there's like three of them. Yeah. Uh, within each other, like he had to play like a guitar, and then the oh, guitar yeah, that, turned into like a key. That was like to get the key. Yeah, and um, then he had to put the key in the lock, and they had to sing the song, the Rush song, or from oh, oh yeah, yeah, from Schoolhouse Rock was yeah. to open the gate. It's just it doesn't matter. None of it matters. Yeah, you know, it's just a bunch of references <laughs> that add up to nothing. And then he has to like be in a virtual room and then like log into a computer, but he has to put it the right login info, and then he has to play a game inside the computer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, he just plays more games. He has to recite all of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh yeah, he reenacts that. Uh and then he has to know something about Halliday's past to unlock a computer to play the game. To play the game and then he 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 wins. He's yeah. he's the best. <laughs> he's the greatest 80s guy ever. Oh, also everyone is killed because IOI like bought this super crazy bomb that just kills everyone in the game, including themselves. Cause they probably were like, they're going to win the egg. We're just going to kill everyone and start over. Uh, but Wade does not die because he picked up an extra life. Either a playing a perfect Pac-Man game in the book, (laughs) in the book or B beating a British robot in a bet <laughs> who ended up being Og yeah, we find out later which is Halliday's partner yeah so Og totally fucking cheated yeah and I was like, like he just gave him that extra life he didn't even earn it yeah that was the part I didn't like I do kind of like the book element though where in his search for the second key yeah he finds this like hidden Pac-Man game yeah I liked that too because it is very you know um feels true to like what makes video games fun and special yeah like my favorite video game for a long time or favorite video game in a long time was the new zelda game yeah and so much of that is just running around and discovering shit Mm -hmm. and just figuring things out and just kind of like having a good old time yeah and like he kind of discovers he thinks that this might be part of like the clue but then he quickly realized it isn't but he's like still wants to play it because he knows it's a challenge in itself yeah and he ends up winning this magic quarter that gives him the extra life yeah which he doesn't know what it does at first until it saves his life but 
yeah, I did like that element of the book. Mm-hmm. It was one of the few points where I'm like, this feels like a video game. In yeah, a has kind that of, magic. Yeah, that kind of Willy Wonka-esque magic video game quality to it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to him getting it from a British robot. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so because he was the only one with an extra life, he's the only one now who can do the challenge, Yeah, basically. Which is to play the game adventure. Yeah, and know where the hidden Easter egg in adventure is. Which is like the first Easter egg that was ever placed in a video game, mm-hmm. so like they have that. <laughs> Adina, though, it was so funny watching this. He's being video broadcasted while playing this. Through the Oasis. Through the Oasis, and as he's playing adventure he's mansplaining <laughs> everything about like oh this is the first hidden easter egg in the entire game and i just picture every gunter watching being like oh my god being I, like we know we know <laughs> we just sacrificed ourselves to get you here don't make us suffer for it yeah that part was a little annoying in the movie it was <laughs> like, let me explain to you why this is great why i'm winning <laughs> uh so then we get this uh confrontation not confrontation but sit down with Halliday yeah or his avatar his ghost his ghost <laughs> his virtual essence and Halliday's just like oh here's the egg also just do stuff you know don't be afraid to be in the real world basically I do want to take a moment to say the guy who plays Halliday in the movie and I forget his name because he's not super well known no although he did win best supporting actor for bridge of spies Mm -hmm. one or two years ago which is pretty cool but he's so funny in this he has that great balance of kind of awkward like goofiness goofiness like kind of on the spectrum like not able to socialize with people very well but he does it well i do like him and he delivers a lot of great deadpan jokes especially at this last part yeah like there's a part where you know they're in this simulation of his old house and he's literally just trying to find the egg like it's somewhere like under his desk or something. And he's just like, oh, hold on. <laughs> he was great, though. He was maybe my favorite actor character in the in whole the movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he gives Wade the egg. And Wade wins. Wade, Wade wins. Wade gets the oasis. Wade wins the entire Internet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something I definitely have to talk about here is... Um, the entire time reading this book, I was waiting for some kind of subversion of what was going on. Of anything. Of anything. <laughs> of anything. Yeah. And I was like, I really hope Halliday's like a bad guy. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. Or we discover that or we like, find like things about him that are not so great. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, or Og is maybe bad or something. Like, give us a curveball. Or like, Artemis is bad. For a while, I was like, ooh, ooh yeah. I wonder if Artemis is a spy mm. for like... The IOI. That that would have been cool. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like she gets him to fall in love with her and like tell all his secrets and then she betrays him. And then she stabs him. She's like, ha ha. And then she turns him into a stag and then the hounds. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I was kind of waiting for that too. And there's just like not a lot of surprises. No, none at all. Like you were saying earlier, everything kind of goes according to plan. You know, things, challenges come up, but. Nothing is really that shocking. There are no big twists. There's no like small twists either, though. No, like, there's none. Uh, in the book, we find out Og is like still in the Oasis. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's kind of a surprise. But then he brings all four of the finalists yeah. to his mansion for like ref- like 
for um safety for safety and i'm like ah this is taking a lot of the tension out because right now they're on the run yeah and it's kind of exciting it's cool and he's like let me bring you to safety in my mansion in my mansion where nothing bad can happen i'm like but then i'm like maybe he's bad maybe he's trapping them sabotaging yeah sabotaging no No. (laughs) yeah he's not he's just he's just being a kind old man yeah but yeah there aren't a lot of surprises no and and something else i was thinking about you know was one of the one of the things about the oasis and this dystopian future right is that people are just escaping their reality yeah and at the end of this movie when halliday gives him the egg he gives him this little speech about you know the oasis is great but it's not reality only reality is reality and that's why it's great (laughs) but i'm like so wait but you just created a challenge right yeah that like captured the imagination of the world and caused them to obsess over the past. And you like had to be immersed. And in yes, this. Yeah. In, in, in this virtual reality, immersed in the past and nostalgia and completely ignoring the real world for like five years. Yeah. Wasn't this a bad thing? Isn't that totally contradictory to, to everything your message that you're, you're saying right, right now? now that the real world matters? Yeah. Um, like what? Yeah, I don't know. That was like, I, I just kind of got real. It just once again wants to have its cake and eat it too. Yeah. It wants to be about the 80s and nostalgia, but it never wants to critique it. Mm-hmm. It never wants to critique nostalgia or anything that might be bad about it. Yeah. And, but at the same time, it's like the real world is still important. And yeah. Wade only agrees because then he has a girlfriend <laughs> who he can bang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this, um, like what you're talking about, not criticizing nostalgia or kind of looking at things critically. Um, we really want to talk about kind of this idea of like a true fan. Yeah. And like being uh, the best. Like, I'm trying to think of a good word. Like, There's kind of a gatekeeping to yeah, fandom. To fandom. Yeah. And you have to prove yourself in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And specifically, there's a. Uh, a, a a sex aspect to it where yeah. women for some reason have to like prove jump, themselves prove themselves more than men yeah and this ties a lot into gamergate and something that i think we have to discuss at least a little bit yeah um so what's interesting and i read this really great article article that i will post on our patreon for everyone um to read but it was talking about the context of ready player one and when it came out versus when the movie is coming out now so when it came out uh 2011 and a lot of people liked it you know they kind of described it as like kind of popcorn entertainment like a fun book to read nothing too serious or like intellectual or that challenging really um But now with the movie coming out, there's been a lot more criticism of the book and kind of people calling it out for um, these problematic things. And the article I was reading was basically saying it's because of Gamergate, which happened roughly in 2015, where Mm -hmm. women uh, women gamers specifically were being harassed, uh, terribly harassed and, you know, rape and death threats. Uh, Some of them had to go into hiding, actually, because people were coming to their houses. Um, Towards women who were in this video game industry and in the geek industry. I I think it started with a female reviewer of video games. Yeah. And for some reason, people thought she gave like an unfair review of something. And I'm not well versed in this issue, but somehow it just snowballed from there. Yeah. Uh, And it just exposed this this idea that women 
uh, like don't belong in in the gaming and the geek and the nerd culture. And that is really problematic. And the book Ready Player One basically encourages people to try to prove Mm -hmm. how much of a fan they they are. There's literally a scene in the book where Wade like shames another uh, character. Yeah. Because he doesn't know enough about like a specific video game trilogy or something. And it basically like pones him and everyone's like, oh, what a noob. You, like, and in this context, if this is the real world, I would be like, well, why can't this character just like this one game and not know like the whole history yes. of this game publication and what comes next and the secrets hidden in it and the developers who made it? Like, yeah. why can't you just appreciate what it is? But the whole book is about having to know more and more and being the best nerd and the best fan. Yeah, and and they're constantly just shitting on anyone else who doesn't know enough. Yeah. And even amongst themselves, like, usually it's kind of in a playful way. Yeah. But there's still that element of, like, ugh, you you suck, you don't know every line of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and it just, you know, I can see when it came out, people seeing it as just kind of a harmless like kind of glossing over that a a geek fantasy yeah like oh a world where someone's interest in 80s pop culture like save the world save the world you know (laughs) uh but it really did you know after gamergate happened and we kind of saw the The negative side effects of this culture it really kind of shined a light on this book and reading back and just kind of seeing it a new new perspective yeah and it really has kind of polarized the book in recent years. It has. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, um, I have his name right in front of me. Ernest Klein yeah. uh, wrote another book a couple years ago uh, called Armada. Mm-hmm. And it was met with much more mixed reviews because this was around Gamergate. Yeah. And it was a similar story. Um, you know, a video game player commands like a fleet of ships against an alien invasion kind of a thing yeah but a lot of similar themes like he's the best now because he's the best gamer Mm -hmm. and he gets women and money and like all this cool stuff because he's super cool and yeah people who don't know this are lame (laughs) you know it's a very uh simplistic kind of angle to this but like really shows the toxicity that happens around these kind of cult followings. Yeah. And we're not saying that Ernest Klein set out to make something that was exclusionary and like kind of tried to only promote people who are true fans. You know, I don't think that was his intention. I think he was just trying to create something that, you know, had references to things that he loved and was nostalgic for him. And it was kind of like a fun adventure. But I think it is important to look at this stuff in context and to think about the world that we live in now and like what message does it send to people when you read stuff like this and like what does it show us about our culture now and like who are who's excluded from these stories and like who's not welcome in this environment so and I'll be honest when I first started reading this book like a few months ago I guess it was longer than that now but um I only knew it for being well-reviewed and people liking it a lot. Yeah. You know, I I didn't, I wasn't really aware of this like negative side that had developed, Mm -hmm. but just reading it myself, you know, I got to that part where it was the uh, reference off. Yeah. And I just kind of cringed and was like, "Ah, I don't like this, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think that is just a sign of like the times changing, the the times they are changing (laughs) and kind of how things are taken a little bit differently now so Mm -hmm. yeah so 
we couldn't talk about this story without discussing Gamergate a little bit. No. Uh, we don't want to hold the book or Ernest Klein to those ideas too harshly, but yeah, you know, definitely needs to be discussed, I think. It, yeah. And like you can make something and it doesn't have to be like a social message or like challenge every trope. But, you know, it's still important to look at things from different perspectives. Sure. But that being said, like, you know, I know people say this is like, oh, it's just fluff. It's just fun. Harmless fun. It's harmless you know? f- fun. But reading it, I'm like, I want something out of this. Yeah. Like some kind of commentary on nostalgia or something like it can still be fun and do that. Yeah. And I just felt like it was really only caring about references and like being a ride. You yeah. Know? Stuffing the most references yeah. <laughs> possible into the book. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. So. Uh, and then, sorry, real quick, but there's another moment in the movie. It's in the book, too, but I noticed I thought about it more in the movie because I saw that first. But where when he wins, he's given access to this button yeah. that can totally destroy the, the entire oasis. Mm-hmm. And immediately in my mind, I'm like, that's the solution. Like, get rid of the oasis and have people focus on the real world again. Yeah. Ha- but, actually solve their problems. Yeah, but he doesn't. No. And by the end of the story, his his resolution or solution is to close the oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays. In the movie. In the movie. In the book, he just doesn't do anything. <laughs> no. And I was like, that is such a, that's not going to do anything. Yeah. Like, just shut it off. <laughs> Destroy it. Like, closing it on Tuesdays and Thursdays is just, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I was I was wanting something else to happen a little more resolution yeah for the resolution <laughs> and then he and artemis kiss yeah kiss kiss <laughs> uh is there anything else that we should uh i mean there's that whole kira thing where Halliday's in love with ogden morrow's wife yeah it, it's like a huge not a huge plot line but it's sort of a important one in the book and in the movie, they talk about it a bit, too, but they sort of played up more like he's not really in love with her. He just, like, is sad he missed his opportunity with her. Yeah. They call it, like, his rosebud. Yeah. Which I like as an idea in the movie, like, digging into him as a character, Halliday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finding out, like, what opportunity was it that, like, drove him and whatever. Yeah. Uh but literally naming it his rosebud just kind of was way too on the nose. I'm like, okay, you lost me. <laughs> I didn't need to have a reference attached to this. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't a, I wasn't a huge fan of this storyline in the book or in the movie because it's just like, oh no, he loved someone and didn't get her. Like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, I also had issue with Artemis at the end of the book. Yeah. Because she's like suddenly, you know, in the Oasis Artemis is like cocky and cool and talented and like is a really good writer and like all this stuff. And then when he meets her in real life, she's suddenly really shy and crying and he's just giving her his approval. Yeah. Like, I think you're beautiful. And she's like, you think so? And you're like, stop it, girl. You're Artemis. Goddess (laughs) of the hunt. Turn him into that deer. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, though. Like, she suddenly just totally changed. And I get You know, she's kind of a different person in the Oasis versus real life, but it really just kind of stomped out her character at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. So that was another little little issue I had. So which one was better? 
Okay. Um, I'm going to say the movie. I'm also going to say the movie. It, you know, I think the idea of seeing these references and stuff, which is kind of almost the whole purpose of both stories is just like seeing it is much more effective than just hearing them mentioned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I and watching a super cool, crazy car chase is cooler than reading about him playing an old arcade cabinet game <laughs> and then reenacting war games. Yeah. <laughs> I just I don't I don't care. Also, the book is just so weirdly paced with large chunks and I don't know. Large chunks. Large, large, just, it has large, (laughs) just chunks. It's just chunky. I do have to say there were really exciting parts in the book that I wanted to keep reading. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there were kind of more boring parts where it was exposition-y, but there were parts where I was excited and I wanted to keep reading and I can see why people enjoy it, you know, and why it's such a, a book that people love. Um, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of few and far between in my, like this is this is a crazy reality where like anything's possible. Yeah. And he's and it's just it's not that exciting. Yeah. In my mind, I just mm-hmm. wasn't as entertained as I wish I could have been. Yeah. And I think it is better suited toward a visual. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Uh, not that the movie was like. The movie was fun. You know, I Besides, thought it was, it was good. There's a few scenes that I'll remember, but for the most part, it was kind of forgettable in yeah. some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, also the villain in that just went crazy and took a gun. Yeah. Uh, to shoot people, I guess. And that's when he was arrested by the police. And I'm like, what? And you're like, where have you been, police? <laughs> <laughs> also, he has like a henchwoman who's totally like that henchwoman in the new Blade Runner movie. Yeah, she even has the same haircut. Yeah, she's just like robot evil. <laughs> she's like a super dedicated sidekick who is like really good at kung fu and kung like, fu and has bangs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like almost the exact same character, I thought. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And also, I didn't think the leads were anything. I, I liked um, Halliday. I liked Halliday, and I'm sorry, uh, Waif. Uh, Lena Waif. Lena Waif. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked her a lot too. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, everyone was kind of flat. Yeah. In a way, mm-hmm. the visual effects were great. They were. That's something, and we saw it in 3D. Actually, we did, and it was cool. It was cool. We don't usually see movies in 3D, but we're also getting old and boring, and when. There's a 3D showing at 7 p.m. and a 2D showing at 8.45. <laughs> we plopped down the extra like 15 bucks to watch it at 7 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> but it was cool. I think that was a movie suited for seeing it in 3D. Yeah. We might was like, we might as well. It's one of those movies, I think, that is going to be way more impactful to see in a theater than at home later. Oh, yeah. So it's like, let's just invest in that experience while we're having it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But movie. Movie. Woo! Woo! All right, let's get on to the lightning round. Lightning round. Pew, 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 pew. Okay, so for my first lightning round thing, this is something I wanted to talk about in the main part of the episode, but we didn't get to it. Uh, There's two other characters that are in the book and movie called Dado and Shoto, Mm -hmm. who are two other uh, gunters who they team up with. Uh, In the book, they are the most ridiculously stereotyped uh, Japanese characters I've ever read. It's real bad. It's real bad. So first of all, they're samurai uh, characters in the, the Oasis. Yeah, avatars. 
Um, but literally almost everything they talk about is like honor. They're, they have no honor or like you are a man of honor. That's 50 percent of their lines. Like for like all it's all about honor. And then in the book, um, Dato gets killed and they set it up as a suicide where it seems like he jumped out of his building and uh, he uh, Wade asks Shoto. He's like, are you sure he didn't actually just jump out of the building himself? And Shoto says, no, he did not commit seppuku. And for anyone who doesn't know, seppuku is the way samurai used to kill themselves <laughs> by disemboweling themselves with their own like knives. And I'm like, and unless that's like a general term for um, suicide? suicide in Japan, which I'm, I looked it up and I didn't see any reference to that. I'm like, no one is talking about him disemboweling himself. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, it was just something he felt like throwing in about seppuku. Like, like it's not even the same thing. What are you saying? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was real bad, though. They were maybe. They're not even really major characters. No. They're like. Led, they lead you to believe they're major characters, but they don't have hardly any lines at all, and they're not really in the story. They don't contribute to any anything that meaningful. No. Uh, and you could argue, well, they're embodying, like, maybe they're into Japanese culture and are just kind of embodying that. Yeah. But we're not given any reason to believe that mm-hmm. uh, in the book. So I'm going to say it's just a really cringy, bad uh, Japanese stereotype. Basically. So. Oh, yeah. And then Wade gives a Shoto a samurai sword. <laughs> yes. And he's honored and like it is somehow the best samurai sword he's ever had. <laughs> yeah. And and Wade keeps calling him Shoto son. Mm-hmm. And Wade son. He like, I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> Wade, stop. <laughs> so uh, one thing I want to mention is when uh, Wade escapes the IOI. Uh, indentured slavery facility or whatever he is like just wandering around columbus and is gonna meet back up with the others and he just buys a gun from a vending machine and i'm like this is definitely the future (laughs) like honestly it's like one of those details and i'm like that is the depressing direction that we are headed towards where you can just like put your change in and like press a button and then the gun comes out from like the yeah this like flap although to be fair one of the things i liked about it though was <laughs> he mentioned there's a 6 hour cool off period where you can't use the gun i think it's a 24 hour or 24 hour yeah. and i'm like that makes sense that like, does make sense you know if you're angry like you can't just use it you immediately you can't just buy a gun and then shoot yourself immediately uh practical gun <laughs> safety it mm-hmm. is but like the image of just like selecting a gun from a vending machine i was like yeah. Also, he never uses it. No, he buys it and then it's never brought up again. Never. <laughs> also, it's a little disturbing because he was like, I've never held a gun before in real life, but in the Oasis, I've held them all the time. So I felt totally fine with this. I'm like, dude. <laughs> you have not been taught anything <laughs> regarding gun safety at all. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh, something. So uh, you probably figured out by now that I don't like the writing of this story. Yeah. And there's constantly things that are, like, brought up or mentioned that I just think are clunky or weird or whatever. And one of the things, and there's a line in here, and I'm kind of just paraphrasing it, but he, you know, he's in the Oasis, and he enters, I think it's in IOI, and there's a receptionist, and he talks about she was an impossibly beautiful blonde. I'm like, yeah, no shit, it's a simulation. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
what do you mean she's impossibly beautiful? Like, everyone's impossibly Anyone beautiful. Anyone can be anything. Yeah, like, are you forgetting, like, this own world you're creating? But I, I actually wrote that as a note. I wrote, impossibly beautiful, no shit. <laughs> that was probably my favorite line that wasn't meant to be funny, but I, I laughed at. Uh, so there's this great visual effect, kind of, yeah. in the movie where um, in the IOI facility, they have a lot of the IOI employees or Sixers that are just like the drones that are in the Oasis. And they're in these kind of like pod harness things where they have like all their gear on. So they're in the Oasis. But it's they're a whole all, floor of Yeah, them. it's like an open area where they're all kind of like together. And whenever like stuff is happening and people are getting killed left and right, it just like switches to the real perspective where they're all in like their harnesses and you see all of their like pods turn red as they die and they're yeah. all like, ah, oh, like dying. There's a great part um, in the Shining level where um, <laughs> people are just getting like killed left and right and you can hear them like screaming <laughs> in the real world. <laughs> it's really great. Steven Spielberg, I think, really liked this set and this idea because they use it for a lot of gags throughout the movie and I was mm-hmm. all for it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah, so... That, that, that's the, it for the lightning round. I'm sorry my rant about Dato and Shoto was a bit long <laughs> for the lightning round. We had round. to address it. I had to get it off my chest. <laughs> uh, but thanks for listening to this episode. We hope that if you like the book or the movie that... You weren't too offended. You weren't too offended and that you still enjoyed the episode. Yeah. Uh, there were definitely things we enjoyed about each, but... Uh, you know, we don't have to say anymore. Yeah, we've, we've said it all. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, our next episode will be on hidden figures. Yeah. So it'll be change of pace for us. So tune in for that. Um, we also have a Patreon if you're interested in supporting this podcast. Um, we have a bonus podcast that comes out every month where we talk about stuff that's not quite related to just adaptations. So yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, please uh, find us on Patreon or. Uh, find us on iTunes, leave us a review or just a star rating. Like that's a huge help in terms of us being discovered on iTunes by other uh, people, other listeners mm-hmm. is just the more star ratings we get, the better. So if you can do that, that would be sweet. That would be great. Uh, also, email us at uh, coverage credits pod at gmail dot com. Uh, let us know your thoughts on. Uh, what are we talking about? Ready Player One. <laughs> <laughs> let us know your thoughts like. Uh, about our episode, about your thoughts on the movie and book in general. We just got an awesome email from a listener about our episode way back on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. That was really cool getting to email him a bit about it and just getting his feedback on it and everything. And uh, did I say Twitter already? No. At cover two credits with the number two. (laughs) (laughs) Same deal. Tweet at us. Let us know. Say hi. All that good stuff. All that good stuff. And we will see you next episode. See you next time. Bye. Bye.